Uh, it's called Aloha Leadership. Uh, aloha, as most folks know, is like, uh, you know, way of saying hello, way of saying hi. Uh, what I learned from Lot to Enrich is that it's a lot more loving. It's a loving way of saying hi. It's not, it's, it's like a welcoming, it's a feeling, it's a vibe. And they've always taught us that, you know, it's that kind of leadership that actually makes things happen. So as any entrepreneur, as any leader in whatever industry, whatever field, any artist, creator, entrepreneur, you need that kind of leadership uh, because if not, you're, you're going to fail. It, it just, it doesn't work any other way. If you don't care about the people that are working for you, they're going to leave. If you don't care about the people who are working with you, why would they work with you in the first place, you know? Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now today we have another great guest on the podcast, so Eric Jara. And uh, give you a quick introduction to Eric. So in high school, didn't think about being an entrepreneur, went to college on scholarships, um, 18, uh, 18 years old at U of U, wanted to, um, I think if I remember right, share the kind of the money you made from scholarships and started a scholarship foundation, um, studied abroad in South Korea for a period of time, found, or found out about a company that needed Spanish speakers, got a job doing data analytics or business and data analysis, or sorry, you got a data business and data analysis degree. Graduated, went and worked for Chile as a consultant for a period of time. Um, wanted to do his own thing. Came back to you or came back to the U.S. Um, and then his brother and him started a, a business that was started out as a hobby for making music. And then decided to go into street clothing and uh, collaborated with artists. Um, also decided to build a record label. Help or his dad uh, left his construction job and joined on the crew and uh, started a business uh, helping other people doing construction. So. I think with that much as introduction, that's all I have. But welcome on the podcast, Eric. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So I gave the very compact, uh, doesn't give it justice, 30-second version of a much longer journey. But uh, take us back a bit in time to when you were coming out of high school and uh, when how your journey started from there. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you, by the way, for the introduction. It's I feel like it's a long, <laughs> long intro whenever, you know, folks ask me to come on and speak and stuff. Um, I was recently called Mr. Everything by a close friend of mine. Well, you know, starting to be a close friend of mine because uh, he's like, man, you're just doing so much. And I was like, well, you know, I, I try to do what I can and make history. But um, so, yeah, when I was uh, leaving high school, uh, this is, I guess, where we'll start. Leaving high school, I had no idea what this whole entrepreneurship, building your own business type thing was about. Uh, stereotypically Mexican family. We grew up saying, oh, if you're going to go to college or you're doing uh, engineering, uh, you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor. And that was it. So it wasn't until I got uh, to the University of Utah to the business school that I was introduced to this world of business. Um, I went to the U, blessed, super, super blessed to be on scholarship. So I didn't have to worry about paying for school. And I'm blessed to be right here saying, hey, I graduated from the University of Utah uh, debt free. You know, uh, all in a scholarship. So I was super blessed about that opportunity. Didn't have to worry about paying for school. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I told myself when I first went to college was one day, once I graduate, once I get a good job and have enough money, I want to start a scholarship of my own because it's because of scholarships that I was open, you know, to this new world that I had no idea about. Um, 
that came a lot sooner than expected. It was my freshman year. I was only 18. Uh, I read a book by Grant Cardone. And the only thing I remember from that book, like, don't don't ask me about the book because I don't remember anything. But I do remember one line that said, there's never enough time. There's never enough money. You never know enough. There's never enough resources, never enough knowledge. Just go right now. So I said, okay, cool. You know what? I'm not going to wait. So I started the scholarship when I was 18. Um, you know, I was blessed to have wonderful, wonderful mentors, even like in my first year, uh, thanks to the scholarship that I was on, thanks to one of the scholarships that I was on. And I asked them, I was like, hey, y'all are the ones in charge of this scholarship. Like, can y'all help me create my own type of thing? Um, they were very, uh, you know, tied to the U and that's where their students were at. But I didn't want that type of limit, you know, with my scholarship, you know, if there's a student anywhere else uh, in the U.S., in the, in the world even, uh, I want to help them out as best as I can. So I asked them how they got started, pointed me to some great resources, uh, got myself a lawyer and, you know, because all the legal stuff, again, I'm only 18. I don't know jack squat about business or anything like that. So, you know, it kind of pointed me in the right direction, helped me start that, get that up and going. Um, I'm only 18, though. You know, my network is really, really small. So the whole uh, everything that was raised for that scholarship in the first three years came straight out of my pocket. Um, everything that, you know, that I had worked for, I didn't need to put to school. Uh, blessed that all the scholarships are covering my tuition, my books, my laptop, my housing, my food, and even some trips. So it was like, you know, I, I don't need to work for myself. Uh, all the work that I'm going to um, do and all the money that I'm going to make, I'm just going to put it back to the scholarship. So the first three years, that's how it was. Um, you know, I just tried. I, di I did what I could. I didn't really know where to go. Um, but, you know, I had something cemented. I got three scholars the first year. I added on another three. So it was a total of six the second year. Um, the year after that, um, we had another two. So it was like a total of eight students each with $2,000 each, uh, you know, a thousand for fall semester, a thousand for spring. And it was all just coming out of my pocket, whatever I could make. I just gave that like a hundred percent of like what I made. It went straight to the scholarship. Um, so this and is, if I were to run the, the math, just out of curiosity, because if I were to have eight students and they're each $2,000, you're putting into this up out of your own pocket as a student yourself, 16,000 a year. Is that right? Yeah. 16,000 a year, that's that's the most that I had ever done after that year was kind of put on pause because I'm like, there's a lot of money and I don't know if I can continue to do this. Um, but yeah, that 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 is, you know, that's, that's kind of where it all got started. Um, just me out of my pocket because the name of the scholarship is the Freddie Scholarship. Uh, Freddie is the name of my little brother who when I was 12 passed away. And I mean, when I was 12, I had no idea, you know, that life was so short and that like, you know, any time could be our time. So I said, all right, I'm going to make sure that his name lives on forever, too. So that's kind of what kept me pushing, because obviously as a second, third year in college, like there's no way I'm making that amount of money and just being able to do that. But because I had that why that like reason to, you know, let my little brother's name live on forever, that's what kept me going for it. So that's kind of uh, where my entrepreneurial uh, journey started trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to do this sustainably? Because obviously the way I had started was not sustainable at all. There was no way I was able to, um, you know, do what I wanted to do because I wanted to keep that going, have three, three new students every year and keep the current students as well. I'm like, that's going to be a lot of money really, really quick. Um, so, you know, it was tough, but what has kept me going, like I said, is just for my little brother, because there's nothing tied to Eric Jara when it comes to the Freddie Scholarship Foundation. There's really 
nothing you know i when i was 15 i started doing pro wrestling like lucha libre type stuff like you know the dudes with the mask and everything and so i did this and this was the persona that we had uh running the scholarship running the fundraising events meeting the students and showing their the students and their parents the resources for college and stuff it was this person right here so there was nothing tied to eric jara to me who i really am it was all about my brother my brother my brother and that's the name that i wanted to push forward so that no, was- I, think, I think that that's definitely cool that you're you know not or not only just trying to get your education but also trying to help others and doing it in, in your brother's name is, is definitely amicable so so now as you're coming out of college and you've got your degree and i think you studied in south korea for a period of time is that right yeah, I was in South Korea on a study abroad, but ended up there also with an internship, uh, thanks to another really amazing person, one of, I consider him a friend, but he's also a great mentor, Cesar Sanchez. Uh, he hooked it up uh, with this company down there that needed Spanish speakers uh, for their business. It was like, you know, they're just barely coming up. Um, another startup story that's really, really cool, in my opinion. And he said, hey, they need Spanish speakers because their product is for the Latin market market like latin america that's where they're targeting and i was like oh snap hey i speak english i speak spanish i can learn korean a little bit if i need to um but you know i got you let me know what i can do and hooked it up there um you know it was honestly my first real like business experience um you know working directly for the ceo they said hey we need a sales channel that looks like this can you make it happen and i was like well i can certainly figure it out (laughs) uh stereotypically mexican we're the hardest workers in the room um, in my opinion, and, you know, we might not be the smartest sometimes because education and like Mexican aren't always correlated. Um, but, you know, me being in the position that I was at, I'm like, you know, I can figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'll learn something. If I have to do hours of research, like, cool, I'll figure it out. Um, so, you know, that hustle kind of got me uh, there as far as mm-hmm. that that internship went. So now, and so you went, did that internship, you went down to, and then graduated and worked in Chile as a consultant as well. Is that right? Um, it was before I graduated, actually. So oh, Chile was before as well. Okay. So, yeah, so, so, now, so you, you do the internships and you graduate. Now, when you come out, because I, if I remember when we talked a little bit before, you got into kind of the music industry as a hobby and doing clothing. Was that your full-time gig or what were you doing at the time or kind of as you're coming out with, you get your graduate you get your degree what did you do after that um so all of my businesses I started during college um none of them came after graduation at least not right now you know maybe in the future I I start something else but um the record label that we started me and my brothers it's because we've just been doing music as a hobby since uh my senior year in high school so this was even before you know just on the side we love making music and that was kind of like our thing and we decided just uh, last year, 2020, uh, to make it official, we uh, invested, we created our own home studio, um, you know, in just like a random storage place that we had at one of their houses. And, you know, we decided, okay, how are we going to do this? If we wanted to do this full time, what would it look like? And I'm like, well, uh, we need money. If we want to do this full time, like this is not going to pay the bills right away, obviously. Um, you know, being in music, being an artist, it's, it's kind of difficult. It's a two part hustle where you got to create the art and then sell it. So, you know, we just kind of dove in, said, all right, you know what, we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, That's kind of always been my attitude, obviously, with the scholarship at 18 years old. I mean, that's that's kind of who I am. So I was like, okay, let's run it. Uh, We'll figure it out as we go. Uh, We've been selling uh, beats, selling, you know, the instrumentals and stuff uh, as part of, you know, the record label to get some money coming in so we can pay for photo shoots and videos 
um, merch and like all of that stuff that comes with, you know, being an artist, because that's honestly the only way uh, to make money as far as an artist. We're not that big, so we don't have like sponsors or, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, it's it's an ongoing process, I feel. Um, but yeah, it was my last year in college, my fifth year in college, that we started the record label officially. Oh, cool. No, and so, so you started the record label, and I think that's, you know, awesome. Taking, you know, one, getting through school, and then taking the opportunities to say, hey, I'm going to start businesses are going to try things there let things fail let things succeed and then we'll continue to evolve so it sets up those opportunities as you're coming out of school as opposed to just simply graduating and looking for a job I think that's great to utilize that time so so now you're setting up the record label that's a you know as you said a bit of a lift take some time to be able to actually get the money coming in so what are you doing during that time as you're as you're getting that up and going in other words how do you you know pay for or, you know pay for a living kind of thing um, so at the time when I started it, I had two part-time jobs. I was doing 18 credit hours in school. So my two part-time jobs were mostly filling in, um, you know, most of the time that I wanted to spend uh, to make that money that we can just reinvest into the record label. Um, besides the record label, at the same time, actually the exact same day that we legally registered the record label, we also legally registered the streetwear brand that we also started together, me and my brothers. Um, shout out Ivan Mesa, Jesus Mesa, you know, Penthouse and Levon is like their artist names. But, um, you know, we started the a streetwear brand because along with the music, we were like, oh, what do we want to wear in the videos? OK, cool. What if we had something that, you know, we owned? You know, we're not wearing the Supreme and the Gucci that all these basic artists are using, like in all of their videos, like something new, something different and something that we have, you know, a strong tie to. So we started the streetwear brand as well, just kind of as an idea, like, hey, what if we had something to wear? It ended up, uh, I kind of took over as far as like where the streetwear brand was gonna go. Um, and I wanted to make it a little more broader, you know, not just be a merch type thing, you know, it's like just with our names on, it's like, no, this will be like a legit uh, streetwear brand that anybody could benefit from. And it's not just like tied to Eric Jara or, you know, my brother's names. Um, we turned it into a streetwear brand for artists, creators, and entrepreneurs, uh, because we feel like that's what makes the most sense to us, um, coming up the way we did. And obviously being in music, like I mentioned, that two-part hustle, creating art and selling it, it's like, it, it's tough. And a lot of times people don't realize that, you know, when they start doing anything creative, as far as like art goes, whether it's music, visual, graphic, um, you have to be an entrepreneur. Like, there's no other way to go about it. You can't just create the art and expect bills to be paid. Like, no, you have to know something in business. You have to be very business-minded to get things rolling. So um, we want to respect that kind of hustle with the streetwear brand. And, you know, we partnered, shout out Laura Barra. Uh, we partnered with her. She's had her art in a bunch of different places. She's amazing. Great, great artist. Great, great person. And, you know, that kind of boosted where Indicive was headed you know what better way to make artists or streetwear for artists than with an artist themselves so we did a collab um this is a second collab actually that we have currently going on um and it's all just like you know based on her vision kind of help her uh come up get known as well that way more people can recognize uh you know the art and the creative talents that she has but it was because of that that kind of pushed us in that realm of okay you know streetwear for artists creators and entrepreneurs to me all three of those words mean the same thing uh, but I know certain folks define them a little bit differently, which is cool. Um, oh, but to now, me, they all mean the same thing. 
and you're doing and so now you're doing that and i think that's cool you know it definitely sounds like first of all the fun business and, and second of all sounds like uh, you know had a, a great path towards you know to actually bring it to fruition and if i remember as we were chatting in kind of in parallel to that or you know in in addition to that you also had your father that was in the construction business and he left it and you guys started to work on a uh construction related business as well is that right yeah this was same year, COVID year. Last year was like, you know, the year that I'm like, you know, what better time to start a business? So I started all three that year, the record label, the streetwear brand and the contracting business, because, um, yeah, like you mentioned, my dad, uh, he quit his job uh, last summer. Again, stereotypically Mexican, what we most what you mostly see us working in is like construction and stuff like that. But there's another stereotype when it comes to construction is that your boss is uh, a really big jerk. They don't really care about people. Um, they don't really care about their workers as long as they're getting things done they say okay cool and they're always like you know on their back saying hey you need to do this you need to do that you need to do that and my dad had been working in construction for 27 plus years Um, I say 27 plus because I don't know the exact number but it's around 28 29 years uh, that he'd been doing construction uh, and he was like you know what I'm just tired of this I'm tired I'm done like I hate not feeling appreciated I hate when you know the boss tells me I need to do this and this and this and I'm like I'm working on it just chill um, I'll get it done. And so he quit and he came to me. He said, Hey, um, what if we start, you know, our own thing? Yeah, obviously still in construction because that's where I know a lot of things. Um, my dad, you know, he started from nothing, pretty much just being, you know, the the heavy lifter, the one that makes, you know, that actually is putting in the work to, you know, more management type stuff. He had seen, you know, what it takes to bid on projects. He had a really, really cool mentor. Shout out Brian Olson. Um, who taught him, he brought him up. He's like, hey, look, come into the office for this day. I don't want you to be out in the field today. I want to show you something. And he showed him like the plans. He taught my dad how to read the plans, um, how to make estimates, how to bid on projects and what the whole process looks like. So he said, hey, I know the construction side of things. You know the business side of things. Let's tag team and do something cool, like, you know, in our vision. And I said, okay, cool. But the first thing that I want to focus on is making sure that we're good uh, leaders. I don't want the same thing. I don't want to create just another, you know, whatever other construction companies are. I ain't trying to, you know, throw shade and say their names, but I don't want to be another one of them. You know, I want to do this right. So we started working together and, you know, he's been teaching me the construction side, like the processing and stuff. And I've been teaching him the business side, the the mindset that you need to have and how to best take care of your employees because it's it's competitive when it comes to anything uh you know any labor type job like oh he's paying me a dollar more i'm gonna go over there and it's like well you know if it's not in the budget to pay him more then how about you treat him like an actual human uh so we go get our employee our workers our partners um we go get them lunch every now and then we invite them to like our parties our families type stuff you know the whole mexican hospitality we just bring that to the business Um, and make that part of like, you know, kind of how we run that business, because yes, construction is like, you know, it's its own thing, but we want to bring in your our own little flavor of, hey, we care about you. And it's because of y'all that we're winning and that we're able to pay the bills. Like, why wouldn't we help you with whatever your own personal goals are, or whatever you're trying to do, like not just in construction outside of it, like, you know, how can we how can we make that relationship a lot better? And it's like, well, for us, stereotypically Mexican, we love to have fun. We love to party. So it's like, all right, hey, come over. This is kind of like, you know, the vibe of what it means to work with us. Uh, I don't like saying working for us. I say working with us. Um, this is kind of the vibe. This is kind of what you'll get. And it's just like, you know, an all package type thing that it's like, hey, it's not just clock in and here's your paycheck. It's 
clock in. Here's your paycheck. Here's some bonuses because we did really good on this job. Hey, let me go take you lunch this one day. Don't don't take anything for lunch. I got you for that one. Like, hey, come over. Uh, we're doing this. Uh, you know, we're having whatever type of party because Mexicans love to party. There's no like, <laughs> you know, one reason why we party. It's just like it's a bunch of reasons. But it's like, hey, we're having this. Come over. Um, or, you know, what else are you doing? What what are your personal goals? Where do you want to go with this? And kind of treat it that way as far as the leadership type goes with that business. So now, and I, and I think that definitely sounds like, you know, great way to do business. I think that a lot of times people are getting in business with, you know, with other people as much based on their relationship and whether or not they can trust the individual and work with them and have, you know, all those. And I think that having that hospitality mindset definitely uh, can set you apart in an industry that oftentimes doesn't necessarily have that kind of feel to it. So, well, that kind of brings us up uh, to a bit to where you're at today. So if you're to kind of say, okay, we've got, you know, the record label, we kind of got the clothing brand, we've got the construction business and all of these things kind of combined and all these interests and, and, and working on them, looking now kind of a bit forward looking to the next, you know, six to 12 months of a business in your life and where you think things are headed, where do you kind of projecting uh, things to go? Um, I'm thinking a lot of people that are working with me are going to quit. They're going to stop working with me. Uh, not in a bad way, though. Um, I was gonna say I, that you might want to work on that, so not every, you don't you don't have everybody leave you. No, no, I don't I don't mind that because see, here's the reason why it wouldn't be like oh they're not they don't want to work with us no more. Um, I feel like for them it would be like I've seen what you know uh, Eric, his brothers, and his dad have been able to do. I'll, maybe I want to start my own thing. And with everybody that I've worked with, I've brought up this conversation. I've said, hey, if you ever want to do your own thing, let me know. I'm happy to help because nobody helped me. I had mentors pull me in different directions, but there was no one person that I that could just tell me, you know, this has been my experience. This is my entrepreneurship life. This is kind of how it goes. Um, and even like Laura Parra, who's the artist that we've collabed with, she's told me, she was like, hey, maybe I want to start my own clothing brand. Maybe I want to do my own thing. I'm like, awesome. I'm happy to help you out. You know, if in Dicev, if the streetwear brand isn't where you want to be always, that's cool with me. I don't mind. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to help you build what you want. Because I I don't like the idea of like, I'm not going to teach, you know, the people that I'm working with me, all the little secrets and stuff so that they can stay with me. I, I, to me, that's kind of selfish. And my parents always raised me on like, you know, share whatever you have, even if it's a little bit. So to me, I feel like in the next five, six years, a lot of folks, they're not going to be working, um, not going to be technically, like I said, I don't like saying this word, but if we're putting it in technical terms, they're not going to be working for us. They'll be doing their own thing or they'll be working with us as like a partnership type thing. They're going to be at a at another level, you know, something higher, something great, hopefully even like greater than me. Like, you know, that would be awesome for me. Um, our my businesses personally, I feel like, you know, we just continue to do what we're doing, um, obviously continuing to learn and grow as we're moving forward. Because I don't know everything. My dad doesn't know everything. My brothers don't know everything. And we're humble enough to understand that. And that's okay. Um, you know, we'll learn and we'll see where it takes us. But as far as like the people working for us, which is my biggest focus, um, I don't think they're going to be with us. I think they're going to be off doing their own thing. And it'll be awesome to see them, you know, go from, you know, just working with Eric to now they're on the Forbes list or something like that. Like that would be, that to me would be amazing. And I'd be so happy if that were to happen. 
Well, I think that that's it definitely sounds like that will be an ex- exciting time. And I, I like the idea of, hey, people probably won't work for me, but for a good reason, because they'll either be, uh, you know, improving, moving up, or we'll have a different relationship to where they can, you know, be a partner or otherwise do it. So I think that that sounds like definitely a, a fun path to be headed down. So, well, now as we've kind of caught up to where you're at today a bit, where you're heading, I, um, always a good time to kind of jump to a couple of questions I always ask at the end of each podcast which is the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Uh, Easy. Worst business decision I ever made was thinking that I could do everything myself. Um, This is based on the scholarship, right? Remember I told y'all that uh, for three years, it was just me. And after those three years, we had to kind of put it on pause and kind of hold and regroup and try to figure things out again. Um, That to me has been the biggest uh, in my head, the biggest failure that I had. We had a really, really big, at least in my head, what we had was this really, really big event uh, for fundraising, right? Obviously, catering to Mexicans, Mexican culture, uh, we were going to have this big party. Um, I had ads in Mexican radio that were blessed to have gotten those for free. We had ads on TV. We had uh, Univision, like the Mexican news station uh, that's big in the U.S. I feel like it's not just Utah. Um, but we had all of them running ads and commercials and saying, hey, this is going to be this party. This is where the money's going to go to. Uh, we had raffles at the party. We had food for sale, um, and we lost 200 bucks. Out of everything that I had invested into this event that I had uh, put out of my own pocket, we were down 200 bucks. Um, mm. worst, worst decision in my head, um, you know, trying to do everything myself. Because um, th- I didn't really have a team, I didn't build a team. I said no, I don't want to, you know, put anybody in that situation. We have to struggle to make this event happen. I'll just do it myself. So boom, there you go, Eric. Now your selfishness did this, and now you're not able to fund some students for the fourth year, and you have to put everything on pause, and you have to say, all right, let me re- regroup and try to figure this stuff out. When there's students that are still waiting on their scholarship, it's like it- it's the biggest, biggest in my head, my biggest failure um that obviously I learned a lot from but it, it was just tough you know as a who, I think it was Mike Tyson who said it everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face well I got knocked out I didn't get punched in the face I got knocked out like I was it was bad um so that I would say is like my biggest failure so far no but I, you know I think it's one of those that it uh, definitely a lot of entrepreneurs hit into that because you're saying oh I can figure this out I can do this not a big deal and you know and so you don't necessarily, you don't want to rely on others because you think, oh, I can figure this out. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of smart in that thing. And I'm definitely of that mindset. And I always, you know, say, I always think people that are entrepreneurs seem to they're the smartest people in the room or that they can do it the best because otherwise they would never do it. And yet, if you don't, if, until you learn that, hey, well, I may be able to do some things well, or I may be able to hustle people or work them or come up with more creative ideas. If you never rely on those, they can offer the value that you may not innately have or not the skill set you might not have, then you're always going to limit what you can do. So I think that that is definitely, a, you know, an easy mistake to learn, but something great to learn from. On the second question I always ask is, if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? One piece of advice. Um, this is coming from two really awesome mentors that I met through the University of Utah through another scholarship group. Um, Rich Kafusi and Latu Kinney Kinney, they showed me this concept, um, which is has become my greatest advice so far. Uh, it's called Aloha Leadership. 
uh, aloha, as most folks know, is like, uh, you know, way of saying hello, way of saying hi. Uh, what I learned from Latu and Rich is that it's a lot more loving. It's a loving way of saying hi. It's not, it's, it's like a welcoming, it's a feeling, it's a vibe. And they've always taught us that, you know, it's that kind of leadership that actually makes things happen. So as any entrepreneur, as any leader in whatever industry, whatever field, any artist, creator, entrepreneur, you need that kind of leadership uh, because if not, you're, you're going to fail. It, it just, it doesn't work any other way. If you don't care about the people that are working for you, they're going to leave. If you don't care about the people who are working with you, why would they work with you in the first place, you know? And it sucks because sometimes in business you think, you know, it's, oh, it's all about the money. It's all transactional. It's all, um, you know, I win, you win, but we have to go back and forth. Like there's no end to it. And, you know, that, that might work, you know, in certain cases, but I feel like if you're thinking long-term, if you're thinking, I want to stay in this forever. Yeah. The, it might be slower growth, um, but it'll last forever. Uh, having that type of leadership, that love leadership, that aloha leadership, where you care about everybody, you treat everybody as an actual human and not just a number. No, I think that is definitely great advice. And, you know, it's a balance. If you, if all you do is treat everybody just like a friend and family and you'll never let them go, never cut them, you'll never uh, force them to improve, your business can suffer in the sense that you can't be friends with everybody. But I like the idea that, you know, I think that too often it gets pushed to the other side of uh, you just think everybody's, you know, everybody's just a number on a page or everybody's just kind of a, you know, robot, so to speak. Am I happy to let them go? Oh, well, type of thing. Because then it, it removes that human aspect of it. So I love the ability to find that balance that will um, allow people to improve and become better, be encouraged and also feel supported. So I think that's a great piece of advice. Well, if people were to reach out to you, they wanted to uh, be a customer or a client of one of your businesses. They wanted to be an investor. They wanted to be a uh, your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Uh, plenty of different ways. I would say because of this platform and the folks who would listen uh, you know, to your podcast and everyone involved with you, I would say LinkedIn would be uh, you know, the number one way to go about that end. Um, cause obviously I have like my social media, um, and you know, my websites and dicev.com to freddyscholarship.com. Uh, but the number one way to really get a hold of me, as far as this world goes, the business world goes, it would be LinkedIn, Eric Jara, Eric Jara 300. Like, you know, this, this forehead and this mustache is very recognizable. You look up Eric Jara and like, you, you you'll see who it is. So. All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, contact you, find out more, because I think there's um, a lot of uh, great things that you have going on. You have a lot of uh, uh, be a, a great words of wisdom and a lot of lessons learned. Um, so with that, appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners out there, if you'd like to tell your own journey, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Just feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. Also, if you're a listener, as you hopefully are, uh, make sure to leave a review on the podcast so other people can find out about all of our awesome episodes. And also make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you ever need help with uh, your patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, feel free to go to invent or go to strategymeeting.com and uh, grab some time with us to chat. We're always here to help. Well, thank you again. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much, Devin. I appreciate you. Thank you.